while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. You are witnesses of these things. That's from Luke 24. Over in Acts 2. God has raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses of this fact. Acts 5. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and saviour that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. Hope you're seeing a bit of a pattern. Acts 13, verse verse 30. But God raised Jesus from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses. The early Christians, the early church witnessed they saw jesus rise from the dead okay it the the jesus resurrection for them was undeniable it was indisputable there's no book of the bible like today's um, evidence that demands a verdict that sets out to prove to early christians the resurrection they didn't need it they saw it but what they didn't get and what took a while for them to get and what they had to work out over the next uh, 40 days as they chatted with Jesus and as he talked to them was, what does the resurrection mean? What does it mean about who Jesus was? Uh, What does it mean about the way they should live? They'd witnessed something extraordinary, but now they had to put the pieces together. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at some of the passages where the, the apostles put together the implications of what Jesus' resurrection means about life for us here right now, tomorrow, today. What does Jesus' resurrection mean? Now, thankfully, um, it's put, spelt, put out, it's, the Bible spares it, spells it out fairly clearly for us, uh, so we don't have to do a lot of work. It's all there, and those three passages on your outline under those three points are the passages that we're looking at. So the first thing that the resurrection of Jesus proves and that is recorded for us in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, is that Jesus is the Son of God who we should obey. So open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And that's where we begin this morning our little investigation. So I'll read from Romans Chapter 1, I'll start at verse 1, and we're just thinking in the back of our minds, what does Jesus' resurrection mean? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to human nature was a descendant of David, and through this, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What that passage is saying at the end there is that Jesus was shown to be the Son of God by his resurrection. What I want to think about is what does Son of God mean and how does the resurrection show that he's that? I have certain things that show who I am. So um, I have a driver's license with my picture on it and maybe I could use that to prove who I am. I have a passport with my photo on it I have a birth certificate. I am Wayne Connor. What sort of paperwork, what sort of evidence, what would someone need to prove 
that they're the son of God. Well, Romans is saying, like we just saw in the kids' talk, the criteria is that they need to rise from the dead. Uh, but it's, it's not quite that simple in the Old Testament. Um, God did set up the criteria in the Old Testament for how we would know who would be his king hundreds of years before even Jesus was born. And we're going to look at some of those passages. Don't look, look them up. I'll read them to you. You stay in Romans chapter 1. In Psalm 2, the second psalm, God is talking to King David and he talks about a special king. He talks about a king who he will one day install over the whole world as like a, a world leader. This is bigger than the United Nations. This is bigger than the president. This is a world leader who God will appoint and he'll call that leader his son. Now, it's pretty clear that it's not talking about son of God as in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay? There's the Father and there's the Son and the Holy Spirit, the second part of God. Son of God here is not talking about that because in this very psalm, God calls King David his son. It's kind of an affectionate term for the person who will be his king. So listen as I read from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, as God talks about this king. You are my son, God says to King David. I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. God is saying there that, that, that King David will be called the son of God and will rule all the nations. But uh, King David died. But before King David died, God made a few promises to David. And uh, one of those promises was in 2 Samuel 7. And this is the promise that God spoke to King David about this king before David died. When your days are over, King David, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's an expectation there that a descendant of David will be ruler of the world forever. Now, Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10, takes it even a bit further. Um, this is God talking to King David about this king. And he says, uh, David speaking to God, You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Now, that's an interesting verse, and if you read Acts 2, the apostles really wrestled with that to try and work out who it was talking about and what did it mean that God would not let this, this king see decay. I could go on. There's lots of similar verses in the Old Testament talking about this king, uh, but it's a little bit cryptic, isn't it? And no one figure in history uh, of Israel fitted them all. The descendant of David, King Solomon, he had a big kingdom, but uh, his bones decayed. King David's bones decayed. Who was this king that would rule forever, that would be called God's son, that body won't see decay? Well, of course, when Jesus comes along, and not just in his life, but when he rises from the dead, well, then the pieces start to fit together, don't they? Uh, he is perhaps the one. And that is exactly what Romans chapter 1, verse 2 is talking about. Let's have a look now at Romans again, the passage that was just read. But keep all that in mind. Someone who um, is a descendant of David, someone who will be called his son, someone who will not see decay. Romans chapter 1, verse 2. 
The gospel God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul is saying is Jesus fits every criteria that God set up in the Old Testament, including the resurrection. That was the clincher. And that's what's going on in the Gospels. Jesus walks on the scene and he claims to be this world ruler, this king, this one who's going to dash the nations with pottery. And the Jews go, hang on, that's a big claim to be making. Prove it, back it up. And so when Jesus is discussing with the Jews, how is he going to prove that he's the one? Well, he points ahead to his resurrection. So in John 2 verse 18, the Jews demanded of Jesus, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? See, what sign will the Son of God show to prove that they are the one? I mean, what sort of sign do you want? He's raised Lazarus from the dead, he's healed people, but they need a big sign. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words Jesus had spoken. See, Jesus' resurrection, as they put the pieces together, proves his authority as the son of God. When the uh, salesperson comes knocking on your front door and they're trying to sell you a new Optus or a new Telstra package, they wear a little identification card, don't they? They show it out to you. I think there's a rule that they need to show it to you to prove where they're from. Police officers carry a badge to prove their authority. How can Jesus prove who he is? Well, there's only one way, by his resurrection. We can be absolutely sure that Jesus is the ruler of this world, the one who God has appointed to be king because of his resurrection. He's God's king. He's the son of God. We might think a little bit about the implications of that at the end, but let's move on to the second point. Not only is, does his resurrection prove that he's king, because Jesus is king, uh, the rightful ruler of this whole creation, that makes him the judge. See, because of who I am, because I'm Wayne Connor, and I can prove it to you later if you want, because of who I am, I have the right to do certain things, don't I? I can walk up to a bank, I can sign a piece of paper, and I can withdraw money from my bank account because I am Wayne Connor. And um, I, together with my wife, have responsibility for my children. I can uh, choose what they eat for dinner. I can choose which school they go to. Because Jesus is the king of this whole world, certain things follow. He has the right to tell us what to do. And if we don't do what he does, then he has the right to judge us. Turn your Bibles to uh, the second passage, Acts 17, verse 31, where the Bible actually spells this out for us.
Acts 17, verse 31. As I read, what is the proof I want you to look at? What is the proof that Jesus is God's judge? Acts 17, 31. For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. See what that passage is saying? Jesus' resurrection proves that he is the one who will judge the world one day. Now, how did the apostles know that? Well, again, it was promised in the Old Testament. You might want to look it up later, write this down. Isaiah 11 uh, talks about, From the stump of Jesse, King David, will arise a king who will judge with righteousness and slay the wicked. Or Psalm 2 says uh, that the Son of God will judge the nations of the earth. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. So after his resurrection, and with perhaps a few hints by Jesus on the walk on the road to Emmaus, the disciples joined the dots. Jesus was raised from the dead. That proves that he's the son of God. That means one day we'll all stand before him as our judge. Some of you might have heard this uh, story before. When I was in high school, my parents uh, ran a service station. And when things got a bit busy, as parents do, they call on their children to help out. Well, one afternoon after school, this black van rocks up to our service station, fills up with petrol, and it's full of these guys with long hair and leather jackets. You know, you could almost think that it's going to be a hold-up. So mum calls out for some help. These fellas are rocking the shop. I go out and help, and we make them toasted sandwiches. They're fairly nice fellows. We sell them some drinks. Um, off they go. After they left, I go back out to play with my friend who was around for the afternoon, and he goes, you know who that was, don't you? I've got no idea. In excess, the band. <laughs> it all clicked. I'd seen the signs they were playing in Griffith that night. They came to our service station. I didn't get their autographs. Didn't ask them any questions. Couldn't even let anyone at school know what happened because I was so embarrassed that I didn't recognise them. <laughs> now, I don't know, have you done anything like that? not recognise someone that you should have recognised? It can be embarrassing, can't it? Depending on who it is, it can be disappointing. But not to recognise that Jesus is the king of this world and the judge will be devastating. That's one appointment that you want to be ready for. The judgment day we saw two weeks ago, Jesus has warned us, will be a terrible day like no other. So when you stand before Jesus as your judge, it won't do to say, sorry, Jesus, I didn't recognise you. I didn't know you were the king. See, Jesus is very easy to recognise. The one who God has appointed king and judge, who is he? He's the one who died and God raised after three days. Does that ring any bells from a couple of weeks ago? Easter, we celebrate it. If you failed to take seriously everything God has showed you about who Jesus is, if you still don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God after, what, after God's public demonstration, then you're in trouble. You won't be able to rock up and say, I didn't know. God's not interested in our excuses or our other theories about who Jesus might be. It's very clear. So the question on all our minds should be, how can I be ready for that day when I meet the king of the world, when I meet the one who will judge me? 
How can I be ready? And that's what the third point on our outline is. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, if you want to turn there. See, yes, Jesus' resurrection proves that he's king. It proves that he's judge. But the, the best news about the resurrection, the most wonderful news that gives us hope, is that Jesus' resurrection proves that he can save us. Jesus is the one who has the power to rescue us from the coming judgment. Come with me to Romans 4:25. This is the last passage that we'll look at. We'll start reading actually back from verse 22. We're kind of picking up in the middle of a discussion here about Abraham. Uh, verse 22, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, that's talking about Abraham, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And how do we know that God can do this? He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What that passage is saying is, for the way that we've treated or failed to treat Jesus as king, we deserve death for the way that we've treated God. But that wonderful word in verse 23 credited just like when you pay off a credit card okay you get rid of the debt it's gone you can breathe easy again jesus has cleared our debt with god if we believe in him if we respond to him he's paid off all that we owe to god last week when i was in sydney um, i was approached uh, at the front of the shopping center by one of those people who tries to sell you an american express card well, they don't try and sell it, it's all free, you know, first year, no fees, that kind of thing. His big selling point was that I could transfer my existing credit card balance onto the new credit card and I could have interest free for six months. Jesus does better than that. He transfers our debt onto himself and we never have to pay it back. It's gone. That's what verse 24 is about, see? but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. It's a free credit from Jesus that he paid for in his death so that on judgment day we'll be okay. And how do we know it worked? How do we know that when we get to heaven there won't be something left to pay off, some uh, sins that Jesus didn't cover? Well, because of his resurrection. That's verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins. We know that but he was raised to life for our justification. In other words, his resurrection is the proof that he dealt with it, it was finished, it's done. If it didn't work, if the sins were still unpaid for, Jesus would be still in the grave trying to cover them. His resurrection is our justification. He's king, he's judge, his saviour. So the resurrection is not just some, you know, weird out there mystery, some idea that sounds real interesting, resurrection from the dead, wow, that has no connection with life. It's not like the X-Files where you see these wonderful things but, you know, you turn the TV off and nothing to do with reality. The resurrection changes things. See, if there's no resurrection, 
then Jesus isn't the Son of God. If Jesus was still in the grave, his death didn't pay for our sin. We're following the wrong guy. But of course, there was a resurrection. There was hundreds of witnesses. And because Jesus did rise from the dead, we can know, we can be absolutely sure that he is who he claimed to be. He's the one whose God has appointed king, which is worth thinking about for a little while, isn't it? Is Jesus your king? Not just uh, do you claim that he's your king and you say, yes, I follow him, but is he the one calling the shots in your life? Or are you just half-heartedly following him? Do you obey him only when it suits you? Is Jesus the one who has the final say over all your relationships with other people? Do you make all your decisions about what you read, what you watch, where you travel, where you live, how you use your time, how you spend your money, who you go out with? When you make those decisions, do you do it in complete submission to Jesus? Is that the first thing on your mind? Will this please Jesus? Or do you make excuses? Jesus can't really mean that. Sure, the Bible says that, but that doesn't apply to my situation. It's okay to get a little bit angry with the kids. Jesus will understand that. You know, I do a reasonable job of loving my husband or wife most of the time. Seem to do better than the fellas or ladies around me. Jesus will be happy with that. What's an innocent look? No one will know. See, that won't do. Jesus is the one who God has appointed to rule the nations, including you and me, with complete authority. That means over everything in your life and my life. And if we're not being completely obedient to Jesus, then he's not really our king, is he? We're claiming that he is, but we're not living out the implications of the resurrection. If we're not obeying him, we're living as if he's still in the grave. But he's not. He's at God's right hand and he's king of the world. Well, because of the resurrection, we can absolutely sure that Jesus is king, but we can also be sure that he's judge. Which is worth thinking about too, isn't it? I mean, do you really believe that? That one day Jesus will judge every single one of your friends. One day Jesus will judge every single member of your family. Your parents, your children, your brothers and sisters. One day Jesus will judge you. You'll stand before him. Now if that's the case, how come often we're fearful about how people will respond to what we say when we're talking to them about Jesus instead of fearing Jesus? Why, is it so, why do we so often place our present comfort ahead of other people's eternal future? Do your friends, do your family, do your neighbours know what they need to know about Jesus? What about you? Are you ready to stand before Jesus as your judge? Are you praying earnestly for your unsaved friends and family? That might be one of them ringing now. You might want to go and have a chat to them about Jesus. 
Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can be absolutely sure that he's king. We can be absolutely sure that he's judge. But the best news of all is that we can be 100% sure that he's able to forgive us. What about you? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you? That's the first step, isn't it? And if you have, are you day by day relying on that? See, because whatever you've done or whatever you've failed to do, Jesus is able to forgive us when we fail to live with him as king. Imagine what life would be like if our faith was based on what we did or how well we performed, how good our quiet times were, how obedient we were. I mean, it would be unlivable, wouldn't it? It would be so oppressive. But we can have peace with God because our forgiveness doesn't depend on how well we perform. It depends on Jesus' death and resurrection. If we believe in him, it's credited to us as a gift. Jesus' resurrection proves that he's able to forgive those who believe in him. Now, Jesus is king, Jesus is judge, Jesus is saviour. I'm sure if I said hands up who's never heard that before, probably there wouldn't be many hands up. I mean, we hear this every week, don't we? How many times have I been here talking about Jesus being king or Jesus being judge? or Jesus being saviour. But let me just ask you this. Have you actually taken it on board? I mean, you read it in the Bible, you discuss it at Bible study, you hear it each week, but is, are you radically living with Jesus as your king? Are you preparing to stand before him as your judge? Do you know him as your saviour? Jesus has been risen from the dead. He's king, he's judge, he's saviour. What difference will that make to what you do tomorrow? Let's pray.